We're talking now with Dr. Marty Brennigan from the University of New England. Dr. Brennigan is an activist, artist, and academic in social change and nonviolence. His book, Global Warming, Militarism and Nonviolence, details the links in the struggle and what we can all do about it. Good morning, Marty. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the Radioactive Show. And um, just uh, to start us off, Marty, I wonder if for our listeners who may not be aware, can you explain what we mean by climate change and what is causing it? Uh, I'd prefer to call it uh, global warming um, hmm. because uh, we've had changes of climate throughout uh, history. But what in particular is happening now is that uh, the, the globe... Uh, is building up a range of what are known as greenhouse gases, um, and these don't allow the heat to escape into space the way it used to. So these greenhouse gases have been emitted uh, since uh, the Industrial Revolution um, in in major quantities. Uh, But interestingly, there's been a bit of recent research, and uh, this indicates that... um, Really, about 90 companies are to blame for most climate change. Mm. And are these uh, small-scale farming companies uh, in, in southern Africa, or what, what kind of companies are we talking about? Uh, well, um, as you might well imagine, the oil companies in particular are, are leading uh, this charge, so ExxonMobil, Shell, BP, and so on. Mm. Uh, in fact, according to the guy who, uh, who did this research, Richard Heed, uh, you could fit the uh, CEOs of all these corporations in just a couple of uh, Greyhound buses. Mm. So it, it's a very small number of uh, of people uh, making decisions um, on behalf of major corporations, particularly um, oil ones. Mm. I, I wonder if they would, uh, you know, put those buses with vegetable oil in it and say they're doing something about climate change. Um, just, I just want to go back there to that because I just called it climate change again and it's something like I, I tried to call it global warming as well. Can you just talk for a minute about um, why some people call it climate change and where that came from? Uh, as I understand it, it, it came about um, during the, the first of the, the George Bushes um, and they, they uh, as the scientific evidence began to build up, uh, there was a, an official uh, decision to call it climate change to to indicate that it may be natural, that that Mm. it might be just um, some sort of cycle that the Earth regularly goes through. Uh, And this is contrary to the the scientific evidence that the the 97% plus uh, of climate scientists who are absolutely certain that uh, the world is warming up as a result of human activity. Mm. So, so it is global warming. Uh, climate change is a little bit of new speak, if you like. Uh, so, just talking about what causes it. This is caused mainly, like you said, it's ninety companies uh, around the world, and they are involved in producing greenhouse gas emissions. So, are there links there between the way our economy works and climate change? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at uh, where government subsidies goes. Um, that there's a huge amount of money going into uh, diesel subsidies, rebates, um, mm. rebates for aeroplane corporations um, like Qantas. Um, mm. Lots of lots of ways in which our economy and our political system privileges 
major polluters and and that's continuing today with uh, what the the coalition is is doing or or supposedly doing um, where they're using taxpayers money to to pay major polluters mm. um, but yeah through the uh, the way we we give lots of money to these polluters we give very very little money to uh, Renewable energy companies, for example, mm-hmm. um, wind power gets almost nothing, mm. um, not all that much to solar energy. Um, and although the rhetoric of free market capitalism is all about um, choice and how the market should decide, um, the market is, in fact, heavily weighted in favour of uh, major polluting um, greenhouse gas emitters. Yeah, right. So it's it's skewed to the people who are sort of destroying the earth and polluting the earth. Marty, can you talk a little bit about some of the effects of climate change? Uh, we are seeing it shape some things around the world. Do you know of any that you can talk about briefly? Uh, it's affecting people and ecosystems all around the world um, already. I mean, people often talk about it as, as something we've got to worry about in the future, but According to the World Health Organization, about 150,000 people are already dying from climate change every year. Um, And the the Global Humanitarian Forum, um, which Kofi Annan heads, uh, estimates there's twice that. There's Mm. 300,000 casualties every year. And that's um, from a range of things, from uh, things like drought, um, more cyclones, more, Mm -hmm. more intense weather events, um, mm. like cyclone, so, cyclones. Uh, and in places like uh, the, the low-lying Pacific Islands, uh, simply because sea level rise is leading to more salt water inundating places where they used to uh, grow their food and they're having to move to higher ground. But in the case of some of these islands, they've, they've run out of high ground. They've run out of places to go. So we're starting to see the, um, the first climate refugees in our region. Um, but there are certainly a lot of climate refugees in in, um, in Africa and in Asia who are having to move, um, and this in turn is is leading to uh, conflict as as people move into areas where the resources are already pretty scarce. Mm. So we are talking about the when you say three hundred thousand people are estimated um, at one committee at the UN uh, to be you know already dying of climate change. We're talking about the world's poorest people, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's um, one of the the great tragedies mm. of global warming is that uh, largely it's being caused, as I say, by by the uh, economic elites um, mm. and the people who consume their products, um, who tend to be uh, also in the, the wealthier countries, mm. uh, and the impacts are on the poorest people in the world, the people who have the least ability to, to deal with uh, droughts and, and uh, extreme weather events. And diseases and, um, and terrible things. Uh, yeah, exactly. So just, uh, you know, mainly what I would like to talk about today, um, many people who listen to the show will be activists in one way or another. Most of them will probably be involved in uh, climate change or uh, environmental issues, and there'll be a few anti-war activists out there. But the two issues are actually, if not closely linked, they're actually almost the same issue, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, uh, very much. Um, and anyone who's in, involved in the, the anti-uranium uh, mm-hmm. movement in, in Australia will, will have long ago made that, 
that connection between um, destruction of country, um, impacts on traditional owners, um, you know, the, the poorest people in Australia, mm-hmm. um, but also the, the contribution towards uh, nuclear war. Mm, yeah. So can we just talk a little bit about the links itself between militarism and, and global warming? Why, why, uh, what are the links there? Can you just paint the picture for us a little bit? Uh, well, these, these links, uh, I guess they've been understood um, by some environmentalists for a long time. Um, so that Greenpeace, for example, is the first example of, a, of a, an eco-pax movement Mm. Um, a movement of people who uh, are concerned with both peace and environmental issues and, and look at the links between them. Uh, but militarism um, and war, all the, all the things related to militarism, the, um, the military-industrial complex, the build-up in, in that, the uh, huge amount of resources that go into war and war preparedness, uh, all have a, a really big impact on global warming um, mm. and yet this is something that is, is really not being looked at um, particularly at the highest levels uh, uh, at places like Copenhagen and Kyoto and, and Paris that you know there's uh, lots of focus on things like agriculture and deforestation and and, um, and other issues but um, we're not looking at these these really really big um, contributions mm. from uh, the military side of that society yeah the the u.s military is one of the world's largest uh users of uh, greenhouse uh one of the world's largest producers of greenhouse gas emissions uh you know that's there what are the other links between uh climate change and war and war making uh well that's that's certainly um one of one of the really big ones um the u.s department of defense is possibly the largest single institutional polluter in the world. Mm. So it generates about five times more toxins than the five largest U.S. chemical companies combined. Mm. Uh, but the, the D- Department of Defense is uh, uh, supported, or it supports, this huge web of industries right throughout the world. Um, Lockheed Ma- Martin is, is one of them, uh, mm. Boeing, General Electric. Um, but they also support uh, those big companies I mentioned before who are the, among the, um, the world's biggest polluters, um, such as Shell and BP mm-hmm. and ExxonMobil, um, who uh, get billions of dollars every year, um, both to support military incursions, but also uh, because those military incursions are supposedly going to secure more oil mm-hmm. uh, for countries like the U.S., so there's this kind of vicious cycle going on where we're pumping all this um, oil and as a result getting all this uh, um, greenhouse gas pollution into the atmosphere, uh, all in pursuit of profit for these companies that are the biggest polluters. So it's, you know, it's, it really is a, a cycle that has to be broken mm. if we're going to be serious about uh, addressing global warming. And and can we address as a, not only in the the UN and the, the the high power decision makers of the world, but also as activists and you know citizens of a of a of a what people call a developed country, what I call a minority country in Australia, uh, can we address climate change without looking at militarism? Can we ignore the issue ourselves? Uh, I don't think so. I think uh, we 
uh, have not just the possibility of acting, but but we really have a responsibility because uh, a lot of this pollution is supposedly uh, controlled by the public. Mm. We we uh, pour a lot of our tax money um, into the military through our governments. Uh, so in Australia, we spend about thirty-two billion dollars every year on wow. uh, what they call defence. Yeah, but. Uh, in fact, a lot of that is, is overseas stuff happening in Iraq and Afghanistan, mm-hmm. um, whereas we, we don't have the, the resources even to put out the, the wildfires, which uh, raged right throughout the world heritage areas of, of Tasmania over the summer. Mm. So we're, we're not really defending ourselves against climate change. We're, we're spending 40 times more um, on these overseas ex- excursions mm. um, than we are on actually defending our country. And and these excursions are around securing uh, oil resources, yeah. Well, yeah, certainly uh, that that's partly um, what it's all about. But it could also be said to be part of uh, the the military industrial complex's way of ensuring that their profits keep mm. flowing in. Mm. So we've we had uh, at the end of the Cold War there was a lot of optimism that finally we might be able to stop spending all this money and. and creating all this pollution in militarism um, because uh, the, uh, the the enemy of, of Russia was, was no longer, or the USSR was, was no longer there. But um, we've, we've managed to find a, a war on terror, which is even more convenient, really, because mm. it, it's something that, that will absolutely go on forever. It's very nebulous. Um, there's always been terror. Um, and... Uh, the more we, we engage, you know, it's very oxymoronic, really, that um, we think that using lots of terror is going to get rid of minor terror. Mm. You know, it simply doesn't work. It just inflames the situation. Well, so that for every yeah. so-called terrorist you kill, you, you um, get a hundred more springing up to avenge their their honour or, or their family or whatever. Yeah, uh, it, one, one of the reports that's come out of uh, Yemen, um, uh, ABC's foreign correspondent re- spoke about it. You've got 16-year-old kids now who are basically being forced to, to go and fight against Saudi Arabia because their families are being killed. Um, it's not much of a way to, to start a life, really, is it? And, uh, you know, we're perpetuating this cycle. Um, we're going to go to a, a quick song and uh and then we're going to come back on the radioactive show which is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people in Fitzroy Melbourne broadcast nationally on the community radio network and uh, we're talking with Dr Marty Brennigan from the University of New England about the links between uh, global warming and climate change and we'll be right back after this And uh, welcome back to the Radioactive Show, talking with Dr. Marty Brennigan, activist, artist and academic from the University of New England. Uh, Marty, I just want to talk as much as we can and just paint the picture, because I think as activists, uh, we don't spend enough time linking climate change and militarism um, and, and I just so we've spoken a bit about the the resource use, uh, the the weapons the, the weapons um, companies sort of pushing for war, which is used for oil exploration. But I just want to ask, in your opinion, you know, at the moment the the United States controls eight hundred bases around the world, um, the, uh, off off American soil. You know, uh, what are the chances of striking a major climate deal? Uh, with that in that context, and uh, is it going any climate deal that we make, say in 2016, going to be enough to to mitigate the worst of climate change? 
Uh, well, it has been encouraging. The, uh, some of the, uh, the noises being made by the USA um, and by China. Uh, certainly uh, big leaps forward in Paris compared with uh, the comparative failures in um, Copenhagen and, and earlier. Mm. Uh, it, it's still very, very problematic. Uh, the, as, as we um, seem to see, and or we, we've read in the, the book um, 1984 where we have these, these three major powers and they keep shifting alliances, um, mm. We seem to be now moving from the Middle East as our uh, major um, security threat to uh, to China, and so mm-hmm. the U.S. Is, is moving more troops into into Darwin. Um, there's a lot more rhetoric about uh, what's happening in the South China Sea. Mm. Um, so there's certainly big uh, rises in, in the securitization and the militarization. Uh, wherein China is, is being surrounded by, by U.S. Uh, militarization in the way that uh, the U.S. is not being surrounded by China. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's quite one-sided in a lot of ways. Um, and that's concerning um, both for uh, that region, but also for Australia's complicity in it. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I mean, in, in the midst of, of this sort of rising um, tension in the region, I, I think it's, it's certainly going to make things a bit more difficult mm. to, uh, to come up with good climate agreements. Uh, there, there are some great things happening, uh, both in the US uh, and other countries around the world, but China uh, is taking some great steps forward in terms of their uh, solar energy systems. So huge output there, uh, lots more, uh, in fact, some entire cities that are being now powered by solar. So uh, we also have to remember that they are coming from a long way behind the apple, so very uh, poverty-stricken only a few decades ago, and they're um, trying to catch up in a lot of ways to the, the wealthier nations such as Australia and the U.S., why is China putting so much emphasis on renewable energies? Uh, you know, in a way you said before, like Australia doesn't seem to be doing it. Um, in some ways, we're going backwards, but China is. What's what's different in China? Do you know? Uh, it's it's probably partly due to their very different system. So uh, they are able to uh, see the the problems of climate change and and act on it a lot more decisively mm. than in Australia. We we had some firmer action uh, under the ALP, uh, and that's been watered down under the coalition because there, there's still a, a climate denier element in there. Mm. Uh, Tony Abbott, of course, was, was one of the, the leaders of this, and, and we've got uh, the guy who's been the uh, acting Prime Minister, Barnaby Joyce, coming from that kind of uh, ilk. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So... Yeah, sorry, go on. No, I, I just uh, I just want to go back to the the links to climate change, just with a, another the Pentagon, and I'm pretty sure there was a defence white paper from Australia as well. Have said that uh, climate change, uh, you know, they use the words climate change actually poses the biggest security risk in the future. Uh, so it's it's in a way it's like the the 
the causation of this of this huge problem is now saying you know the problem we're creating is going to be our biggest concern for security which is what we are supposed to be doing anyway um do you have any comments or any thoughts you know will might there be pressure from within you know military circles and the military industrial complex itself to start actually looking at this problem and maybe becoming part of the solution or is the drive for profit just too too great uh no it's, it's very true i think they're looking at this at the highest levels and i think this is what perhaps what china is doing they're recognizing that um, renewable energy is actually uh, um, an advantage in that they're no longer as reliant on external sources for their power mm. um, it's also a defence advantage in that it's uh, very decentralised. So uh, while it's really easy to take out a nuclear facility um, or a a big uh, coal-fired power station, it's a lot harder if you've got a a, um, decentralised network uh, Mm -hmm. of renewable energy all around the the world or all around the country. Um, And that's something that uh, uh, is actually coming out of the University of Melbourne, the, the zero... Uh, Carbon Australia plan. Mm. They've suggested that all of Australia could be run on renewable energy um, within ten years. Wow! And all it would cost uh, is the if if we stopped pumping money into uh, militarism, into Mm defence for ten years. Wow! We could do this. Yeah. So uh, you know that's that's just an example of of how the transference of um, this militaristic ideology into renewable energies and into real um, defence of the country and, mm-hmm. and the planet um, simply could be effective. Mm. Uh, just um, talk about, you know, we, we've mentioned how much money we've spent, we spend on military and uh, there's lots of money going into military research uh, that could be used for, uh, you know, combating global warming for want of a better word there. Uh I just want to know what about what other thefts are happening um what else does our fascination with killing each other and creating more profitable wars what else are we losing when we do this kind of thing uh when we're looking at things like global warming and poverty uh well there's certainly a big a brain drain um mm. there's there's a drain of of youth um so you see that ads during the state of origin for example in in New South Wales um as during the Olympics, um, where lots and lots of people, um, particularly working-class people, are being targeted to, to join the military. Mm. Um, but uh, in terms of the, the drain of scientists, about half the world's um, engineers um, and scientists from uh, a range of other disciplines are, are being uh, drawn into military research. And wow. what's problematic about this is that... Um, it it's, tends to be research that's quite secretive. It, it's um, stuff that's done for a corporation or for, or for a particular country, and it's not shared globally the way other science is, such as uh, climate science. Mm. Um, so that same money put into research that is, is shared globally, um, not for profit, uh, would come up with, a lot more and, and better solutions in, in a shorter time. Mm. Yeah, wow. That's uh, when when you look at the numbers and that that and how much resources go into this. It's quite astounding that it's not more of a political issue. Uh, you know, in Australia, like we just had an election and none of this got spoken about the brain drain or the money that we're we're, we're spending. Um, 
and you know, just just you know, we've got a few more minutes, but I just want to ask then about things that we can do as activists in Australia. And uh, I noticed another one part of your book that we haven't spoken about yet is nonviolence. Um, do you, you've studied social change throughout history? Are you hopeful? Do you think that we can actually uh, uh, go about this? And is nonviolence part of the answer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was talking with a, a farmer from the Tara region in Queensland the other day. Um, mm. So he's in this region that's been totally taken over by coal seam gas. And his belief is that really only a, um, a non-violent revolution is mm. what can save Australia. Um, because our governments are so co-opted by corporations. So not just military corporations, but... Um, um, in that respect, uh, every corporation in Australia with more than 200 employees is somehow involved in the military. Mm. Um, but we're also seeing the influence of uh, corporations in the drafting of anti-protest laws, um, mm. the, the imposition of coal seam gas in the Lismore area, despite 87% of people opposing it. Mm-hmm. And it was only a, a blockade um, at Bentley near Lismore of, of thousands of people and the threat of thousands more uh, pouring in that finally got the message through to the government that that corporation didn't have a social licence. So I I, I think uh, non-violence is absolutely essential, but non-violence involves a lot of different things. It also involves uh, divestment campaigns, and Mm -hmm. I I think that's another really important one where everyone can can make an impact. They can pull their money out of the the big four banks Mm -hmm. um, who are all involved um, in the military-industrial complex, um, as well as things like coal and coal seam gas. Mm. Um, if you're older, you might have super superannuation, and you can you can find a um, a super fund like Future Super mm. that doesn't engage in those sorts of things. So, you now there's there's a way uh, of us moving our money into a, a way that uh, helps the environment rather than harms it. Mm. But there's also the, the, the political aspects of people. Um, lobbying politicians or, or working for parties that are not so uh, pro-military. Mm. And in, in Australia, you'll see that uh, the coalition and the ALP are, are very much in favour of the military status quo, and, and they, they keep pumping these huge amounts of money every year into militarism and um, new submarines, which is going to cost another $26 billion over um, their life, mm. lifetime, um, and the joint strike fighters, so tens of billions more going into that. And this, this is all um, stuff that supposedly we control. So mm. um, we can make change through our voting patterns, but also through our, our political activism. Mm. So you, you would definitely say, though, that people doing uh, anti-war activism are also doing climate change activism? They're, they are so linked that we can come to that conclusion? or Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, any... Uh, change to a more peaceful society uh, is going to have environmental impact as well. Mm. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd be great. And uh, just just finally, Marty, I just want to ask, uh, for our younger audience, and, and younger can be a broad range of ages, uh, but maybe people who are in their teens or even maybe people in their 40s who are sort of working in a job, you know, like you said, any corporation over 200 people is, uh, you know, involved in the military-industrial complex in some way or another in Australia. Uh, But they might be thinking, "Mm, you know, I really 
don't want to spend my life and working life contributing to these problems. Uh, what else? What else might they be able to do? Or for young people thinking about what their professional career might be, do you have any advice or suggestions for what some uh, good industries or jobs are to look at to to help make the world a better place? Uh, there's there's a lot. Mm. Um, one that immediately springs to mind is permaculture. Mm. Um, organic agriculture is something that sequesters carbon in the soil as opposed to conventional agriculture, which um, releases a huge amount. Mm. Um, and that's that's kind of spreading, and it doesn't have to be uh, you know out in the bush and on a commune, but it uh, it can be in your everyone's backyards or, or nature strips and. It's, it's a kind of uh, part of the transition towns movement that is really uh, taking um, up momentum. Mm. Uh, but the renewable energy mm-hmm. sector is, is a very ethical one uh, and a growing one, uh, even though there's not all that much security at, at the moment in terms of government support, uh, that, that will come back. Mm. Uh, I think as the urgency of, of climate change uh, becomes more apparent, uh, we're going to finally start seeing some um, political support for, for things like permaculture and organic gardening and, and renewable energies. Mm. And speaking of politicians, uh, as you said, hopefully they'll start taking notice and taking more action on this and you know winding back our militarism. They're going to need people who've uh, done the hard yards in terms of research and studying social change. Where might a young person or someone looking for a career change uh, you know, find out about more information about that, Marty, if I can be so bold as to let you have a plug here? Oh, well... Um there, there are a number of unis around Australia which uh, do peace studies. So, University of Queensland, um, where where you studied, mm-hmm. Greg, um, in Victoria, Swinburne, I know, has uh, at least one peace unit. Um, mm-hmm. Or you can come to UNE, where we uh, we we're diversifying um, and starting to look into environmental advocacy as well. Mm. So you can do an MA um, in environmental advocacy or you can do a a BA um, where you you major in peace studies and and you can start um, joining the dots and and seeing the the connections um, between the the major corporations who are really running the world Mm -hmm. um, and polluting it um, and ways of subverting that control of, of changing it and then trying to set up uh, alternative or, or parallel systems. Mm. So, yeah, people are more than welcome to uh, look on the um, UNE website, look up peace studies, and you can see the range of units that we have available. Mm. And, um, yeah, also we haven't even talked about, uh, you know, we need to wind up, but, uh, you know, all the great artistry that's coming out and how that uh, can be, you know, like a great catalyst for social change and uh, that kind of thing, which you're also involved in. We'll have to do another show on that, Marty. Excellent. That sounds really good. In fact, we're starting a new unit uh, next year called um, Creating Cultures of Peace. Mm. So it's all about those um, those artistic activism things you can do. Like, um, I think in 2016, um, that sorry, the, the 2016 Roxby protests, um, mm. been a lot of protests out at Roxby uh, Uranium. Most of our listeners probably time, went. They, yeah. Okay. So that there was. Um, I just just saw online that there was a huge radioactive drum there, and mm. uh, they did a, a zombie march in Rundle Mall in Adelaide, and lots of uh, really interesting creative actions. 
Yeah, great, great. Um, Dr. Brennigan from the University of New England, thank you so much for joining us on, on the Radioactive Show. We are, we've really appreciated the chat and your time this morning. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, it's been great to talk. Thank you, Dr. Brennigan.